Well, let's take our Bibles and turn over to the book of Psalm, chapter 37. Of course, we're going to continue with our study that we began last Wednesday. The pathway to peace. The pathway to peace. Psalm, chapter 37. Read just a couple of verses there in 37, then we'll continue on. But we use it just basically as a springboard to get moving along. But we're talking about... Uh, the pathway to peace. Let's face it, the Bible has a formula for everything. And that's what we talked about last week. We began to address that issue and we started looking at some verbs and uh, different things to try to figure it all out. But anyway, let's read just a couple of verses here in Psalm 37. Beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Fret not thyself because of evil doers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they soon shall be cut down like the grass, and wither is the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Well, I'll tell you what, there's some tremendous verses in chapter 37 of this particular book, and uh, we began to note that nations spend amazing amounts of money to try to bring about peace. I mean, peace is something everybody's looking for, everybody wants to achieve, everybody wants to arrive at that place of peace in their life. And yet it seems that peace just seems to escape us, doesn't it? Unfortunately, even in the house of God, even amongst believers, peace seems to escape people. And uh, sadly enough, we're looking for peace, but often we fail to seek it in the right places. And some seek it in wealth, of course, some in popularity, some in, unfortunately, drugs, alcohol, all kinds of vices. But the reality is, is that very few will ever find peace. In Psalm thirty-four, fourteen, we said, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Isaiah 26, 3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Isaiah 57, 21, there's no peace, saith my God to the wicked. Aren't you amazed how many people, even believers, think somehow they're missing out? They're missing out on something because they're not able to do what the world does. And yet the Bible says, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Isn't that amazing? And yet we envy the sinner if we're not careful. And yet the Bible says, there's no peace following that path. We could go on and read a number of other verses. We could share a number of other verses. But we began to talk about the fact that in this particular passage, there were four sets of verbs that we find here that help us to discover the secret to peace. And uh, we said that each of these verbs, the first verb in each set would be an action. And then the second verb would uh, be a result or the solution to that action. And so we noted the first couple. First of all, we said, we noted Psalm 37.1 and 37.3 that said, fret not. Fret not. And then we saw in verse 3, trust in the Lord. So we saw the action, fret not. We saw the solution, trust in. And then we saw, uh, uh, later on, we saw the word delight. Delight thyself 
in the Lord. But then we noted, commit thy way. So we see the action is to delight thyself in the Lord. Well, the solution is to commit thy way. And so we noted a couple of different things along the way, and now we want to pick up where we left off, and we're going to talk about that third set of verbs and see what we can't glean from the Word of God. We want to find peace today. And so often it eludes us. So let's do our best with God's help tonight to find it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the privilege it is to gather in this place. We're just humble servants, Lord. We're mere clay. Father, as I stand here before thy people, I'm well aware I have nothing to offer them except that which you give me. Father, may I be your mouthpiece, stand in my shoes. Father, may you just be, Father, with every listening ear, may you anoint every ear. We may hear with spiritual ears tonight. Lord, peace eludes us in this hectic, chaotic world we live in. Even believers are living in a state of constant upheaval. Help us, Lord, to truly find peace. But Father, when we meet others along the way, especially those that are lost, they'll see something in us that is attractive. Not our physical appearance, but the inner man. That they may be drawn unto Thee. Lord God, help us now, Lord, to lift You up even this evening. We'll give You the glory for it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the third set of verbs is found in verse 7 and 8. In verse 7 of chapter 37, we read this. It says, Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him who prospereth in His way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Again, notice, rest in the Lord. Verse 8 continues by saying, Cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. So we have our two sets of uh, phrases or verbs. We have rest and we have this word cease. Rest in the Lord, cease from anger. And so let's first of all talk about this rest in. Because see, this one is one of those situations where you think, well, we ought to turn it around maybe. This set of verbs should be reversed, I guess. You would think, you know, kind of like that you should cease from anger and then you'd be able to rest in the Lord, right? But until you rest in the Lord, you'll never cease from anger. And so we need to rest in. And we need to rest in the Lord. And that means to wait patiently, basically. Wait patiently. In her daily devotional, Streams in the Desert, Miss Kalman relates us a story. She, or, or at least a, relates to us this, this idea. She says, this, there is for the heart that will cease from itself the peace of God that passeth all understanding a quietness and confidence, which is the source of all strength, a sweet peace, which nothing can offend, a deep rest, which the world can neither give nor take away. There is in the deepest center of the soul a chamber of peace where God dwells, and where, if we will only enter in and hush every other sound, we can hear a still, small voice. This is what I like. Now listen to this. She goes on to say, There is in the swiftest wheel that revolves around its axis a place in the very center where there is no movement at all. And so in the busiest life there may be a place where we dwell alone with God in eternal stillness. (laughs) Is that good? 
I mean, think about that. Doesn't that make you just want to shout? I mean, think about a wagon wheel. You know, you're, you're watching the Ponderosa, you know, Hoss and Little Joe and all them guys. You ever notice that every time one of them guys gets close to a girl, they seem to pass off the scene? They never get married. What's with that? These great-looking guys in the West, all these great-looking gals, nobody ever gets together. I never understood that. But anyway, think about that wagon wheel. Think about that wagon wheel for a minute. And, and as it spins, if you go to the outside of it, it's spinning really fast. But on the inside, there is a spot where it virtually does not spin. Where everything slows down, where everything becomes, so to speak, quiet, if you will. And that's how it is in your life. That's how it is in my life. If we'd be honest tonight, we'd realize and we'd have to admit that our world is just, uh, just it's a merry-go-round. It's just, everything's moving so fast. It's so chaotic. It's so confusing. There's so much activity in our lives. People are ramming their kids to ball games. People are running their kids to practices. We're, we're, we're going to church. We're going soul winning. We're doing this. We're doing that. And then our world's just spinning around us. Boy, I'll tell you something. We need to learn to rest in the Lord. That means we've got to find that quiet place. We've got to find that one place where nothing else can enter in, where only God is, and we can meet with Him. I like the passage over in the book of Psalm, chapter 46. Turn there, if you would, please. 46, verse 10. What a great passage this is. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. Mrs. Calvin continues by saying, There is only one way to know God. Be still and know. Man, is that powerful. You know, we spend so much time talking about how we're going to get to know God. You know, we're going to do this, this uh, particular study, and we're going to do these verses of memorization. We're going to do this, and we're going to do that. But let me tell you something. The real reality is, is this. You only really get to know God when you get alone with God. And I, I mean, I, I'm all for Bible studies, and I'm all for memorizing Scripture, and I'm all for doing soul winning and all those things. Don't misunderstand me. But let me tell you something. We spend so little time in the center of that wheel that's spinning. So little time in the quiet stillness, we rarely rest. We wonder why our spirits are so upheaved. Rest in the Lord. I like that passage in Psalm 91. Over there it also goes on to tell us this. Uh, they that wait upon the... No, that's a different one. I'm sorry. See what I mean? All of this memorization doesn't do you any good sometimes. Actually, it's always good. Don't misunderstand. But anyway, it says this in Psalm 91.1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Amen. That's secret place. You better have a secret place. It, I mean, it, it may not be secret to your wife. She may know where you're going. Don't misunderstand me. You don't need those places. Okay, but, but you, you know what I mean by secret place. I mean, I'm talking about a place where you and God meet. Boy, it's so important. Rest in the Lord. And be still and know that I am God. Then we move on to that next phrase. Rest in the Lord. But he goes on to say, cease from anger. Cease from anger. 
a kindergarten teacher was helping out one of her young students, trying to get his boots on. And so she was pushing, she was pulling, and they just about got them on when the little boy looked at her and said, Look, teacher, they're on the wrong feet. You put them on the wrong feet. She looked down, and sure enough, they were. She was so concerned about getting them on, she kind of put them on the wrong feet. So with great difficulty, she turned around and started tugging and pulling again and got them off. And this time, she began to put them back on. She's already got a sweat going by now. Oh, no. Excuse me, lady. She was glowing. And so she's trying to get them boots back on, and she's being as patient as she can possibly be. She tries again and again. Finally, finally, it looks like she's about ready to get them on, but the fit just wasn't quite right. I mean, it just didn't seem to be working. And at some point, the little boy said, you know what? These aren't my boots, teacher. She just wanted to scream. I mean, she wanted to just blow her top, you know, but, but she bit her tongue, and she pulled the boots off again. He then said, you know what? Those are my brother's boots. My mom made me wear them today. She didn't know whether to laugh or to cry at this point. And so she mustered up the energy to once again push those boots on his feet. And she got them on for the last time. And then he said, and then she, she, she said, now, where are your mittens? He scratched his head and he went, oh, I stuffed them in the toes of my boots. Listen, I, I want to ask you, how many of you, how many of you in here tonight, when your plans are changed by somebody else, don't kind of get a little upset, get a little angry? You know how it is. Your plans get changed. You don't expect you got your whole day planned out. You got everything in order. Everything's ready to go. And somebody turns around and something goes down that changes your plans. But I'll tell you what, it's easy to get angry, isn't it? It's easy to get upset. Somewhere along the line, however, as believers, we've got to learn to control our tempers and control our anger. We've got to do that. You know, it's not uncommon, and it's very, very common for, for men to come to the office and say, Preacher, I'm really struggling with, with my temper. Like that's something that no one man's ever done before. You know, they really do. They feel like they're the only ones ever. But I'm going to tell you something, every, almost every guy I know at some point struggles with his temper at some place in his life. But let me tell you, you've got to learn to temper the temper. There comes a point where you have to realize and recognize that it doesn't do any good to continue to blow your stack because all you end up doing is wrecking everything and everyone around you. And so we need to cease from anger. We're to rest in the Lord. The fact is, is that once you rest in the Lord, you will find the strength, inner strength, Christ's strength, to cease from anger. Evangelist D.L. Moody was a great preacher. I'm sure you've heard of him, and if you haven't, he, he rocked two continents for Jesus Christ. Literally won hundreds of thousands of people to the Lord through the preaching of the Word of God. D.L. Moody, he had a rather sharp temper. He had learned to control that temper for the most part, but every once in a while it might get away from it. One evening, Moody was conducting uh, two evangelistic services back-to-back, a doubleheader, if you will. And after the service, after the first service, Mr. Moody was standing near the door welcoming the second crowd, or the new crowd that was coming in, and a man approached him, and he, he, he delivered this, I guess he delivered a very offensive insult of some sort. Now again, a number of people, they couldn't hear the insult, they didn't see what really happened, but Moody had been 
very much insulted. Well, Moody never did tell what the insult was, but it had to be pretty, pretty bad because all of a sudden in a very, a very quick fit of anger, Moody shoved the man and sent him tumbling down a short flight of steps. Yeah. Those were the good old days when preachers could really take care of problems the way they feel like it. But nonetheless, if I could do that, I'd be working out every day. If I could get away with that, I I would look like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. And one of you would give me lip, I'd be like, no, I wouldn't do that. But anyway, I'd be afraid, some of you. But nonetheless, Moody shoved this guy. He goes rolling down the steps. And I mean, he wasn't very, really harmed. He wasn't hurt real bad or anything. And some of Moody's buddies and friends that were standing around saw this. They, they got a little bit concerned. They started thinking to themselves, how in the world is the evangelist? How's D.L. going to get up there and preach now in this second service after that? I mean, when, when, when he said, when I saw Moody give way to his temper, one person said, I, I said to myself, the meeting's killed. It's over with. Large number who had seen the whole thing, he thought to himself, was going to never sit there and hear the message and never going to be influenced by the man of God now that he turned around and pushed this guy down the steps. But Moody stood up, called the meeting to order. With a trembling voice, he spoke these words. He said, friends, before beginning tonight, I want to confess that I yielded to my temper. Out in the hall... I yielded to my temper and I've, I've done wrong. Just as I was coming in here tonight, I lost my temper with a man. And I want to I confess my, my wrong before you all. And if that man's present here tonight, the one whom I thrust away in my anger, I, I want to ask his forgiveness and I want to ask God's forgiveness. He said, let's pray. Instead of that being a lost cause or a lost case, as a matter of fact, that night seemed to be very special, to say the least. The Holy Spirit showed up in a mighty way. But you know what? I don't care how far along you get in your Christian life. Don't ever doubt for a minute that your temper can't come out. I mean, D.L. Moody was a great man of God, but let me tell you, D.L. Moody was a man. Now listen, that don't mean that we treat him with disrespect because, oh, he's just like me. No, he was a great man of God. You ought to respect the D.L. Moody. You ought to respect your preacher. But by the same token, realize you're no better, no different in the sense that no matter how close we get to God, that flesh and the devil is always trying to get us to lose sight and lose our temper. Now, again, the key, the key is to rest in. And once we rest in the Lord, we're able to cease from anger. Every time you feel tense, every time you feel like going over the edge, you know what the solution is? Okay, yeah, go ahead and run a mile if you like. Go ahead and beat the punching bag. I like hitting punching bags. However, the the best thing you can do is find that secret place. And get with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, anger doesn't always end as nicely as it did for Moody. There are times when anger turns to wrath and then wrath to rage. And rage ultimately leads to unspeakable acts. 
In Denver, Colorado, a 51-year-old man used a 25 caliber semi-automatic pistol to kill a 32-year-old bicyclist who cut him off on the road. Shot him. Near Cincinnati, Ohio, a 29-year-old woman cut in front of a 24-year-old pregnant woman, slammed on her brakes in an irate gesture following her anger about the, la- uh, the, the, the young girl's driving. The, mother to, the mother-to-be lost control of her car in a very violent accident, and her unborn child was killed. In Lancaster, PA, Pedro Melendez, a two-year-old boy, was shot in the leg after his mother, Josephine, honked her horn at a man at a Taco Bell drive-thru. The book of James tells us in verse 19 and 20, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. In Proverbs twenty two twenty four, the Bible even warns us as believers, make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man thou shalt not go. Can I, can I just say this? I'm amazed how many of you young ladies will marry some angry, jealous, crazed guy. You'll be out with him. And you'll look at some other person, not meaning anything, and you'll go, what are you looking at? Why are you looking at him? And you'll be stupid enough to marry him. And then when he takes you home, locks you in a room and says you're not allowed out, when he tells you you've got to walk down the street and keep your head down because you're not allowed to look at another man, when he tells you that, that he thinks you're cheating on him every other week, You'll come crying to the preacher if you can sneak out long enough and say, my husband don't trust me and he treats me like dirt and he yells at me and screams at me and he's even been physical with me at times. And I'll say, I'm sorry to hear that. Let me tell you something. Save yourself a lot of heartache. Follow the word of God here. The Bible says make no friendship with an angry man. That especially means don't get involved with him in an intimate relationship. Are you kidding me? And by the way, parents, boy, I'll tell you what, I'm feeling some righteous indignation welling up. I'm getting angry. I'm going to start shaking that pulpit. Would you please have the guts to tell your daughters in no uncertain terms, when you believe that the boy they're with is one of these angry men. So at least if she goes off and marries him, you'll be able to lay your head in the pillow at night and know you did everything in your ability to keep her from all that mess. Amazes me all the guys are going to be all tough and everything after it's over. Didn't tell their daughter, warn him then, that's her life, she's got to make her own decisions. Yeah, that's great, but now all of a sudden you want to go over and beat him up? Why didn't you do something before she got married at least? Thank you, preacher. You're a blessing tonight. This is exactly why we came to church this evening. The Bible says, an angry man stirreth up strife. You really think your daughter's the only one's going to have problems if she marries this angry guy? He's going to stir up some strife. He's going to make your life miserable. Your wife's going to be crying herself to bed at night. 
Now listen, we can't stop our kids from making bad decisions. They're going to make some bad ones. But listen, we've got to do all we can as parents to protect them. And boy, the Bible's very clear. You don't get mixed up with an angry man. And by the way, you young men, don't you be hanging out with a guy who's always losing his temper because sooner or later, you'll be the one that pays the price. I understand guys get a little upset about things. But if you're out with a guy and every time he turns around, he's going, that guy's looking at me. What are you looking at, man? And before it's over with, you'll be in the hospital licking your wounds. I'm just saying, you better be real careful with that angry man. And by the way, believers, you shouldn't be the angry man. You shouldn't be the angry woman. We ought to be resting in the Lord. And if we're resting in the Lord and we're finding that secret place, then we'll be able to at least contain that anger. I understand we can lose it a little bit. I realize we can mess up. I know we can stumble along the way. But boy, that ought to be the exception of the rule, not the rule. You know, sometimes the problem is we don't want to rest in the Lord. We just downright don't want to. In, in a sense, you know, we want to get angry at somebody. Why? Because we feel they deserve it. You know what the real issue is, if, we're, if we'd be perfectly honest? We don't trust God with the matter of taking care of that situation. We don't believe God's really going to do the right thing in this circumstance, so I'm going to take it on myself to get it done right. I mean, what in the world would happen if God... What if God exhibited mercy? What if he extended mercy to that person that deserves nothing but my wrath? You know, I vividly remember reading about a man, a man who was a preacher. And, and he, had, he had the call of God on his life. There was no doubt about that. He, he was commissioned by God to share the unsearchable riches of, of the word of God with his enemies even. And the thought of his enemies, the thought of his enemies experiencing any of God's mercy just repulsed him. And, and the thought of them being forgiven, the thought of them escaping the wrath of God just really just, just burned him up inside. It just, he couldn't stand the thought of it. So instead of obeying God, he fled. Instead of obeying God, he escaped out of God's reach, or so he thought. Do you know, I heard that that failed miserably. It, it did. It landed him in a real mess. And it landed him in that mess until he finally got his belly full of it. And then once God got his attention, he humbled himself and he quickly made his way to those that were in need. Do you know they did repent of their sin? And sure enough, his greatest fear was realized. God's wrath was withheld. Sadly, sadly, even after the lesson he had learned earlier, he felt sorry for himself, and he sulked and sulked before God. And then God had to give him another attitude adjustment. You may have heard of this preacher. His name was Jonah, and the city was Nineveh. See, Jonah didn't want to see his enemies repent. He didn't want God's mercy extended to them. Because he thought he knew best. They don't deserve any forgiveness. They don't deserve God's mercy. They deserve the, the wrath of God. And he would not trust God with them. So he would not cease from anger. And you know what? That's what we do sometimes. Family and friends hurt us. And let's face it, people can hurt you. That's just reality. I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter how kind you are. You're going to find hurt in this life. 
But how you handle that hurt determines on how God can bless you. Because of time, let's jump to that last one. We've only got another hour. Okay, maybe not that long. Let's just deal with the fourth one for a few minutes. The fourth one's found in verse 27. We jump all the way down to, 47, uh, to 27 here. And again, we're, we're in chapter 37 of the book of Psalm. We're down already to 27 now. The Bible says, Depart from evil and do good and dwell evermore. We're looking for peace. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. Verse 34 goes on to say, Wait on the Lord. And keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. So our two words are depart, and of course, wait. To depart from evil and do good. That's a, that's a pretty good Bible right there. I don't think it can be stressed enough. That there is no allocation for you and I to do evil. We, there is no place for it in our lives. Now again, I, I'm like you. There's a part of me that wants to believe, well, you know, that's just the way we are now. You know, I, you can't expect me not to do some things that are, you know, come on now. I mean, we're all human and we all have our weaknesses, right, preacher? I mean, you certainly, God understands I don't get it. I don't think he does. I'm not saying that I don't understand, because I do. I'm human. I'm flesh. I I sometimes wish God gave me a little bit more leeway. But then again, if the consequences for evil are what God says they are, then he's really sparing me a lot of heartache. He's not doing something so that he can make me miserable. He's doing something that can give me blessing now. Provide the blessings I need. He says, depart from evil. And do good. There's never justification for a child of God to return evil for evil. Now that's a tough pill to swallow right there. Especially for me. I mean, look at me. I'm a man. Nobody messes with me. Right, guys? You know how it is. We don't let nobody mess with us. Somebody messes with me. Somebody messes with mine, they're getting it. Someone brings evil upon you. You counter that by doing good. You do good for them. You do good to them. Boy, now wait a second. We're not talking about in this flesh. We're talking about when you're, you know, in that secret place. You're resting in the Lord. That very quiet place where you meet with God who enables you to do the impossible, enables you to be crucified, so to speak, daily, enables you to endure hardship, heartache, enables you to be maligned and mistreated and still remain humble like Jesus did. Wow, that's a tough one. Romans 12, 21 says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you know what the hardest part for me is on all this stuff? Is that I, if I be honest with you, is this. 
If somebody harms somebody I care about, I feel like I'm not a man unless I go out and do something about it. That's my hardest, that's the toughest thing for me. I feel like I owe it to them. If I don't do that, and it's not really even, it's not really even for them that I want to do it sometimes. Let's just be honest. We want to do it because we want to feel like we're men. We don't want to feel like a big baby. We don't want other people to look down on us. That's a tough one, but as believers, we really don't have the authority to go off half-cocked and do whatever we want when we want. Hey, somebody breaks in our house, and, and we're concerned for the well-being of our family, ourselves. We have every right to protect ourselves. Don't misunderstand me. But let's be careful. They run off with our piano. They run off with our, 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 uh, our video games. <laughs> they run off with all of those things that we find so, so important. Our big screen TV. Now, don't mess with my big screen. It's HD, 1080. Hold on. They're running down the street. They're gone. I'm going to track them down, hunt them down, beat them up, throw them in a ditch somewhere. No, nope, I can't do that as a believer. You know, somebody stole our unit, our, 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 our uh, here, what happened? Last Friday, last Friday, Brother Cavanaugh, he's, uh, he's driving by the carousel, and he sees a truck back there. And we've already had a, a unit stolen. We've had some pieces ripped off other units. And, and uh, so all of a sudden now, here, here's this truck sitting back there. So he pulls around. He's got Liz with him. He's got the baby. And, and he stops, and he walks out, and he's like, hey, what are you guys up to? Oh, well, we're, we saw this sitting back here. It's just scrap. We're taking it. Well, you've got to understand, earlier in the week, somebody tried to rip it off already, which it was them, of course. And when they did, they pulled it off, and the gas line was leaking. We don't know how long it was leaking. You had to disconnect it from the building, you know. So it was still connected to the building, partially. We shut the gas off. And uh, now Friday, a few days later, here they are up there going to go take it, right? So he says, what are you doing? Well, we're just taking it. It's just scrap, just sitting here. And uh, so he's like, well, that's not really the case. He goes, listen, uh, that, that unit was just connected to my building there. That's my building. And you just had to cut it off of the building right now. You, it wasn't just sitting there. You're tearing it off the wall. Oh, well, we thought it was scrap. They got in their truck, took off. He gets in his van, he gets their license number and stuff, calls the police. They come up, write out a, um, a, um, a report, and they say, now if we catch these guys, do you want us to press charges? Duh. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Of course we do. They've already stolen one unit over there. I'm sure it was probably the same people. And now, two days in a row, they're up here trying to steal this unit. The guy says, well, we got the license number. The, the person who owns the truck's just two blocks away from the scrapyard. You know we haven't heard from the police yet. It's been last Friday. Hold on a second. You know what I want to do? I don't even have to say anything more. You, you know what I'm saying? Hey, by the way, do you realize... Do you realize that the police never got back to us, but somehow that unit's now missing again? They come by and stole it. They took it. It's gone. So now it did end up getting stolen. Those are pretty determined thieves. No, they're scrappers, forgive me. And, and I didn't mean to say anything derogatory because they're probably somebody's husband, somebody's brother, somebody's uncle, and of course we don't want to speak evil of them. 
<laughs> but nonetheless, they ripped us off. Boy, I tell you what, there's, I, have, I have plans for them. But you know what? After putting this lesson and message together, I just can't follow through. These things always come at the wrong time for me. Matthew 5.44 says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Well, I'll tell you what, that concept, it really tests the most dedicated believer's resolve, doesn't it? You're going to obey God or you're going to obey your flesh. That's a tough one. I mean, the flesh just screams for immediate justice, doesn't it? It just does. God, however, is often long-suffering. In her book, I'm Still Learning to Forgive, Corey Ten Boom makes a life-changing decision, and she records it. I'm going to read a portion of it for you. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him. You've got to understand that Corey Ten Boom was in a concentration camp. She lost her sister. She saw a number of her friends perish. All she was doing was hiding Jews, trying to protect them, and they took her off through her and her sister into a concentration camp. Her sister ultimately died. It was a, I was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture, maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown When we confess our sins, God casts them into the deepest oceans. They're gone forever. That was her message that night. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him. Working his way forward against the others... He made his way toward me. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. He came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good is it to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. I remembered the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, 
he was saying, I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've, been a, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive, Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? Could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help! Help! I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand to the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into a, our jointed hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. If anyone, if anyone would have had justification to harbor hatred and bitterness... It would have been those whose lives were uprooted, bodies abused, and loved ones murdered by the sadistic hands of Nazi Germany. But let me tell you this. Freedom. Freedom and peace. Freedom and peace within a person is never found by bearing the weighty chains of unforgiveness or the weighty chains of personal revenge. When a person neglects to do good, they will soon fall into evil. Depart from evil and do good. Amen. That last word is wait. Wait on the Lord. Once a person 
departs from evil. Once a person willingly gives their hurt, their heartache to God, then and only then are they really able to wait on Him. We're always waiting on God to do something. But often God's expecting us to do something in obedience. And once we respond in obedience to Him and His Word, He then fulfills all the promises. He takes control. See, Corey Ten Boom woodenly raised her hand, mechanically, but she said, I will do it because it is right. It is obedience to God and His Word that brings blessing. I will not allow my emotions to control my actions. I will allow my actions to be controlled by God. And when she obeyed the Lord, that's when God rewarded. He says, wait then. Wait on the Lord. See, the Lord will mend all wounds and hurts if we'll wait on Him. We're not to wait for an opportunity to reciprocate or to seek vengeance. We are to wait upon the Lord and keep His ways. Psalm 27, 14, one of my favorite verses. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know that the Christian life is a waiting game, don't you? You're always waiting on God. You're always waiting on something that God's waiting to do. We've got to depart from evil, and only then will we be able to patiently wait on the Lord. You know, the devil will tempt us to take matters into our own hands. He'll tell us that God doesn't care. He'll, He'll even try to lie to us. He'd say God wouldn't allow this situation if He really cared about you. Wouldn't let it happen. He'll lie. Why wouldn't He lie anyway? Honestly. The Bible tells us in John 8, 44, He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in Him. When He speaketh a lie, He speaketh of His own. He's a liar and the father of it. That devil's a liar. The devil's going to attack you where you're most vulnerable tonight. Often in the midst of hurt and heartache, it is our emotions that are most exposed. Don't ever believe your feelings over the Bible. Don't ever do it. Remember who the devil is. He's the enemy of God and the enemy of the saints. And remember what he is. He is nothing but a liar. So we want to, we've been considering the pathway to peace over the last few weeks. We noted a couple of those verbs. We talked about them already. He said, fret not is the action. Trust in the Lord is the result or solution. Delight thyself in the Lord is the action. Commit thy way unto the Lord is the result or solution. We said, rest in the Lord. We said, the result or solution is cease from anger. Depart from evil is the action. We said, wait on the Lord. The pathway to peace is available to all. It's, It's there. I mean, God has a plan. He always has a program. He always has a pathway. We just have to be willing to take it. Psalm 37, 37 says, Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. You know what he's saying? You do things God's way, and the end will be peace. You'll never stop all the wars in the world. There are always going to be wars. You'll never stop all the fighting in your family. 
You'll never stop all the bickering and the complaining among believers even. But you know what you can do? You can have peace tonight. You don't have to be a part of all that mess. You can choose to experience peace by being obedient to God. Aren't you glad we serve a wonderful Savior? Life's too short to be miserable. I want peace in my life. And I know you do too. Tonight, as we boil this all down, let's make sure that we rest in Him. Let's get to the center of that wheel. Let's not allow our activity to keep us from Him. Let's find that secret place tonight. And every day of our life, find it. Only in finding that secret place will you really find true peace. Father, we come to you. We thank you so much for...